Thank you for listening to City Awakening Podcast. City Awakening is a gospel-centered church located in East Orlando that plants new churches, striving to be a multicultural, multi-generational church. For more information about City Awakening, follow us on social media or visit www.cityawakening.org. Amen. As y'all take a seat, we'll go ahead and dismiss our elementary students back to back to their class if they if they're going to be heading back there. If you didn't get a chance to uh, to sign them in, you can still do that back in the back. Uh, but as they go, we'll we'll settle into to where we'll be here for a second. Good, they already started my clock. The only thing I ever got in trouble for in school was talking too much, so that's good to have a little leash back there. It's always nice. Uh, good, good to keep me reined in. Uh, good morning. Uh, my name is Alex. If I haven't gotten a chance to meet you, I'm the growth and groups pastor and student pastor here. We all wear a lot of hats, um, so we get so we get this done. Um, I am really excited to open up God's Word for you today. First week of November of, of December. Yeah, see, it's been that kind of week. Uh, first week of December. We're into the Advent season, uh, so that's really exciting. Um, we're in the final stretch of our series we've been doing for an entire year called The Whole Story, where we're walking through the entire uh, story of Scripture from Genesis to the last amen in Revelation. And so this is actually our last sermon, um, not in the book of Revelation. We'll jump into Revelation to finish out the year, so that'll be fun. Maybe we'll learn about some weird animals with lots of horns and stuff, and Lewis can tell you what that means. So that'll be fun. Um, I don't think we're preaching on those ones. Uh, I think we're taking the, the little bit easier ones. But uh, we're excited for that. And, and December makes us think about, I know I hear this, I kind of feel this a lot of times. We think about December like finishing the year strong right? We've gone through an entire year. You know, if you're a student, you're, you're in kind of that first semester, you're trying to finish that strong, right? Not trying, let's not slip up at the end, or you're one of the ones like reaching out being like, is there anything else I can do that might help? And the teacher's like, there was a lot of things you could have done back then. Um, sorry, that was me. I was a snarky teacher. Um, but um, we, we think about this idea of finishing strong, right? Maybe the year was rough and we're trying to end it on an up note or things were really good and we don't really want to mess up that momentum by, you know, you know falling into something. Um, we don't want to end a year. I, I thought about this comedy sketch that I saw online. Um, it made me laugh and my, my mom's going to laugh at this because it was a joke about my dad at times in, in my life. So I'm airing Robinson family jokes. Um, but I saw this comedy sketch online with this guy. He was like, advertising his like DIY construction company um, for dads and it was called a couple more days construction and he kept going around his house showing all these projects he's been doing and he's like see this deck it's really nice you wonder why doesn't have a handrail it will I just need a couple more days right and so he goes around he does all these different things that he hasn't quite finished right the the phrase for the company is we're always almost done um, which I love. Uh, it's a great, as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh man, this reminds me of some things. Um, but we don't want to live like that. We don't want to feel like, man, we just don't have that resolve to kind of get over the line or finish what's going on. And when we talk about that in life, when we talk about this driving force in Christianity, a lot of times the word we use for that is our faith. Okay, do we have faith to kind of finish out what's going on? Um, it keeps us, it's what we lean on when life starts to drag us down or we feel like we're slowing down. And we use that in the church, but if we're honest, people use that throughout the world, right? Whether you're a, kind of a skeptic in here, you really believe this, everyone has something that they're like, man, this is what I'm putting my trust in, this is what I'm kind of putting my hope in to kind of get through what's going on here. 
Okay, so this is, we're going to see Christianity's answer to that question. What keeps you going? Okay, and we're going to see kind of a metaphor for this idea of how do we keep going? How do we finish something? Um, and to do that, we're going to look in the book of Hebrews today. We're going to be in Hebrews 12. Um, you can start flipping there. Um, I'll change up Lewis's thing. Since we're near the back of the Bible, if you open to the very end of your Bible and start going a little bit to your left, you'll, you'll run into Hebrews, okay? Um, instead of going to the middle and going right. Um, it's closer to the end. So we're in the book of Hebrews. We'll be in chapter 12. Now, when we think about the context of Hebrews, it's really interesting as a book, okay? It's the only New Testament book that we don't know who wrote it. Okay, and that sounds weird, right? I nerd out over these things because I'm weird like that. Um, the early church didn't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Even like 200 years after, like early, early church, like 200 years in, there's this guy named Origen who was quoted when they were talking about the book of Hebrews, and he goes, who wrote Hebrews? God only knows, right? He, they didn't know. The thing is, though, it was always accepted by the church as part of, like, the canon of Scripture. So it was trusted from day one, even though they didn't know who wrote it, okay? There's lots of theories on who wrote it, and was it Paul, or was it Peter, or some people say Barnabas, some people say James. There's a lot of different kind of guesses at who it was. We just, the, the common answer is we just don't know. But because of what it was doing, because of the message it had for the people, it was trustworthy from the get-go. Like, yeah, this is someone who knows what they're talking about, writing about our faith. So we can look at it with confidence, even though, again, it's one of those ones we go, yeah, we don't know who wrote this, but it's pretty good. It was awkward for me because I like to, you know, say the author's name as I say, well, you know, Paul's making a really good point here. So I have to have him to be like the author, right? Like this weird, mysterious character as I was writing this. Now, topically, it's the perfect book for us as we go through a series through the, throughout the entire Bible, okay? It's really nice. The main theme of Hebrews is that Jesus is the better or completed version of a lot of the images and stories that we saw throughout the Old Testament. Now, I had talked about this when I preached in Leviticus earlier in the year. I talked about that Hebrews is like the hindsight is twenty twenty commentary of the Old Testament, Okay, if you want to look at what the Old Testament meant, just read the book of Hebrews, and it will kind of tell you, hey, this is what was being talked about as we look at that. So if you boil down the message of Hebrews, it's, hey, that was good, but Jesus is better. Okay, that was good, Jesus is better. There might be a quiz later, so be ready. Um, we're going to be in chapter 12 this morning, so obviously that precedes chapter 11. Chapter 11 is a really interesting chapter. We're going to talk about chapter 11 a lot as we go through because 12 and 11 are really linked. Um, scholars like to call chapter 11 the hall of faith chapter or the heroes of the faith. And so it goes into tons of details. It's a who's who's list of people we read about in the Old Testament and how they lived their life with faith. So it gives them this picture. So, it also gives us a definition of faith that I think is a really good working definition. So, if someone were to ask you, like, hey, you keep saying the word faith, what does this mean? We get a really good definition of it in Hebrews 11, chapter, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. So, let's take a look. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Okay, if you have a different translation, if you have something like the CSB or, or another one, you might see the words reality or proof in those underlined spots. What's interesting there is it gives us a, a pretty clear definition that faith isn't necessarily what a lot of people say it is, okay? A lot of times we, we describe it as some kind of like amorphous, blind hope in something, right? 
Like, we don't really want to face facts, so we kind of like plaster over the cracks in our reality with faith, right? I can't really answer this, so I have faith that gets me over the gap. But the thing is, that's not how the Bible describes faith at all. The Bible is full of evidence for our faith. Enough evidence that we can live with assurance and conviction for what it says. It's honest about what's going on in the world, and it speaks about what God is doing about it. So you don't have to turn your brain off to live the Christian life. You don't have to be like, well, there's just questions. I'll never have any answer. Now, there are questions that we don't necessarily have perfect answers to. But we don't just have to walk around being like, don't ask me that. No, 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 no. My, my faith can't handle it, right? Like we can do that. We can face difficult things and difficult questions and endure in our faith, okay? So let's look at chapter 12 now. And we're going to see three keys for enduring in our faith, okay? Three keys today. So let's look at verse 1. Of chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So here's the first key of how we can endure we have a multitude of examples to follow. A multitude of examples to follow. You see the therefore. The beginning of chapter 12, it's linking it back to chapter 11. He's given, he's given us this whole long chapter of all these people doing these things by faith. And he says, hey, therefore, here's what we should do. Here's what we can do because of what they did. And he just barely scratches the surface with Old Testament examples. I mean, it, you could, again, the Old Testament is a very large thing. He condensed it down into one chapter to give us this picture. <clears throat> We see a ton of people who required way more than a blind hope to do what they did, if you really think about it, right? We see Noah building an ark in the wilderness on the faith that God really was who he said he was, and he was going to bring like a, a rainstorm that was going to require a boat, right? That's more than a blind hope. That's frankly just, a, it's just crazy. If you're like, what are you doing? Building a boat. Why? There's going to be water here. Okay, cool. Where? God said there's going to be. Oh, okay, cool, right? Like, it takes more than just a blind faith or else you look like a crazy person. We see, we have Abraham leaving his family. He leaves his family home as a childless husband. He's old and he's childless and he leaves with the faith that God is going to be faithful and multiply his non-existent family into a multitude and give them a land to become this great nation. <clears throat> And we see Moses leaving a life of luxury and then safety to confront the most powerful nation in the world, <clears throat> to free God's people because he believed that God was going to come through and do what he said he was going to do. These people, along with many others, didn't do what they did out of a blind hope. They had seen and heard enough about God to know, to have assurance that he was going to come through. And he did it time and time again. That's not saying it wasn't, that it was like easy, that they didn't face difficulties in the midst of it. It didn't come with risks or disappointments. The chapter is actually very honest. We read all of chapter 11. We even get people, we see people who get like the, the really good stuff happen to them. But then we also see people, it talks about people like prophets that were like sawn in half, right? Crazy. Um, but we see that they lived through their faith and that they actually see their ultimate reward, which is going to be our second point, even if they didn't see it in their lifetime. Now, we highlight some of the people that saw it in their lifetime, <clears throat> but there's an even greater one after their life. This is why it's important for us to study all of Scripture, so that we can see the massive amount of truth and data that we can follow to follow Jesus, to give us that assurance and that hope. Now, I love the word that it gives for them. It calls them witnesses here. 
Witness is the same word where we get, is the, the Greek word for witness is where we get the word martyr. It's martyrios um, for fun stuff there. So again, kind of shows us something about faith, that it's not necessarily like a free pass out of difficulty, but it's something that gets us through it. A witness gives testimony based upon their experience or expertise. <coughs> Sorry. When we study the Bible, we can be like a lawyer that is prepared for every circumstance in a trial. Okay? We can come armed with everything we know. You struggle to endure through disappointment? Well, I call Abraham to the stand. He can tell us about how God came through to make him the father of a great nation, even though he didn't have a kid until he was 100. You're struggling to endure because you feel like you have past sin that's too great, and it mars everything, past or current sin that's too great, you can't get through it. Well, I'm going to call King David to the stand. Now, now uh, Mr. Mr. King David, um, could, could, you, could you please tell us about the time that you, as a, let, let me quote this, man after God's own heart, um, you stole a man's wife and then murdered him when she got pregnant. Can you tell me uh, what God did as a result of that? Oh, he confronted you with the sin, but then walked you through the process of repentance to where you then got restored into right relationship with him. Interesting. So you're saying that God's grace and forgiveness was greater than that sin. No further questions, Your Honor. Now, we can do this all day, right? We can do this little courtroom scene with all these kind of people and walk through and see how God worked through them and, hey, you're doing with this? Let me bring up somebody else. We can endure because we have the evidence of God working through these people in these ways. Now, let's look back at that verse to see the metaphor that's being used here for, for that endurance. So again, verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We get the image of the Christian life as an endurance race. So often we want to sprint through life. <clears throat> we hope that our faith is something that basically enables, to, enables us to be superhuman and just get through things as fast as, as humanly possible. All right, I think, of, uh, I think of the idea of like when you play video games, sometimes you can go in and turn off certain things to make the game easier, right? This would be like going in and like turning off the stamina in a video game where you can just, your guy can just run full speed the whole time. It makes it way easier, right? Um, we, we want our faith to do that. That's what we want. That's what, that's what sadly sometimes in, in the church, that's sometimes what we get promised is that, hey, if you believe this, look, you're going to thrive in all these ways. Everything is great. And so then when we run into things, we go, what happened? Why the settings change back? Right? We just get, we, I find myself saying this, and I know other people do too, of, man, when we're going through something difficult, all we can think is, man, I just want to get through this, and then I'll be fine. Let me, just let me get through. Right? Let me up the pace here. We know that's not often how, it, that's not, a lot of times that's not how it works. Faith is what keeps our feet moving, even when we feel like we've hit the wall. It's what we need to fuel our life for the Lord. The common structure of, of what happens with the people in chapter 11 when you read it, it always says, like, now Abraham, by faith, did this. King David, by faith, did this. So every time it says, hey, here are these people, they applied faith to a situation, and then they got through that situation. Faith isn't a shield that keeps difficulty away from us. It's a fuel that powers us to and through what God has set before us. This also shows us that faith is supposed to lead us to action as a response. 
You know, there's, there's this debate within, you know, church circles. What's the role of, of, of grace and faith and, um, you know, faith and works and all these kind of things. And we, we act like they're in conflict somehow. That if I do things to the Lord, that means I'm not trusting in faith. But no, they work in concert. Faith empowers how we work out our lives. And those works go a long way to prove and deepen that faith. And I tell people all the time when we're walking through difficult things, sometimes you got to, we wish we could have everything feeling really in balance all the time in our lives. But sometimes you deal with things as, man, I'm going to work through this because I trust, because I trust that God has said something, even though I don't feel like it feels right. I'm hurting, I don't know what's going on, but I know the Bible says that I can get through this and that I can do it, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to darn sure try and then other times you feel, you might doubt something, you hear something, you doubt it, but then you feel like, man, I, I just feel like God is leading me in this way, right? And we love to be in balance all the time, but sometimes we have to walk through this with endurance to recognize, what am I, what am I working through here? And it helps us get through on life. And we get this kind of picture throughout Scripture. So we've looked at all these witnesses Now we're going to go to our second key, and it's something that uh, these witnesses didn't even have fully in their time, right? We, that, you know, we look back at Bible stories a lot of times and go, man, well, you know, it'd be really easy if, you know, God just straight up talked to me like he did back then, or like showed up in a fiery furnace, and then there he was, and was like, hey, what's up, God? Guess I'm doing good, right? Like, we, we put ourselves back in the Bible and say, oh, of course I'd have their faith if I did that. But the the author of Hebrews actually says we have an advantage over those people in our faith. So let's look at our second key, verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that he may not grow weary or faint, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. So like I said, if you, if you want to do a key theme for Hebrews, it's, hey, those were good, but Jesus is better. And, uh, my wife, thank you. Thank you, Casey. Um, for, the, for the bold, loud answer. Um, but Jesus is better. So we get this picture. Our second key here is we have Jesus as the founder and perfecter of our faith. So not only can we look back at all these human witnesses to the faith of God, right, being answered by God, we can look at God himself becoming human to perfect our faith and living it out and establishing it. I love how Jesus is described here. Uh, you know, in this, in this translation, we get the, the, the founder and perfecter. Uh, we get the founder first. A lot of translations, uh, King James, I believe, uh, is the first one I saw with this, say author in that word. They say that Jesus is the author of our faith. I love that word. I love the image for that. I like hearing authors talk about how they write their books, right? Where'd you come up with that idea? What's going on there? It's really interesting to hear kind of the creative, you know, how creative they can be about that and where they take inspiration from. Um, I like to read fantasy novels, and so those authors are crazy, right? Because they're creating entire worlds and different things. Um, Apparently, J.R.R. Tolkien (laughs) created about 10 languages when he wrote the Lord of the Rings series. (laughs) Just created them, and then like wrote poetry in them. Like, what? Um, Just So the idea behind that is just nuts, right, that that you think about this. But if you want to know something about a book, 
you go ask the author, right? They're the one who made it, right? I don't, I don't normally prescribe, I don't normally subscribe to the like, well, it can mean what anyone says. I'm like, no, the author had an idea, right? We, they generally have an idea of what's going on. They're the best place to look, and that's who Jesus is for us. We can live in faith because we've seen Jesus crafting it just like any author does. <clears throat> Jesus taught us how to live out our faith throughout his ministry. You can look through the gospel to hear Jesus say, hey, the kingdom of God is like this, or when he compares how the world acts versus how the Spirit acts. He gives us, he lays out a ton of these things. This is the stuff we've been talking about as we go through this series, especially in the New Testament part. It's why it's so important for us to live our lives according to God's word and not, and not our own. All too often we encounter difficulty and we fall back to what feels right for us or what society says is right for us to feel. This can lead us into like a self-centered life or a life of despair when we continue to fail on our own strength. If something appears too hard for us, then it must be because something must be wrong with our faith or with the object of our faith. But that's us believing in something that Jesus didn't promise. It'd be like if you asked an author that writes mystery novels set in like the 20s and 30s, right? <coughs> if you were to ask that author, hey, you know, in chapter 3, why didn't you just let the, detec the detective like look up the answer on the internet? You could end the book in chapter 3. And the author would look at you, right, with very perplexed eyes and say, well, you know I set these in the 20s and 30s, right? <laughs> that doesn't exist in the world I've created, right? He had to do other things. He had to do different things. He'd be like, well, you could have just done it this way. I'm like, I could have, but I didn't because I wrote it, right? Like, you need to fall in line with how I wrote it. And so often we do that with what God would say. God, God it would be great if you just did, if you just, if you just made life this way, that would be awesome. And we get the response, you know, we kind of get the response back from God. It's like, well, that's, that's not how I'm doing it. So what are we going to do here, right? And we, we struggle through this. And when we find ourselves in these crises of faith, it's often because we're wrestling with, hey, my expectation is this, but hey, God's not necessarily doing that. The more that you and I submit ourselves <clears throat> to the authority of the one that demonstrated what our faith should look like, the less we'll find ourselves frustrated when our own stories don't exactly go the way we would have planned. When we submit ourselves to, hey, the author, the founder of my faith has laid this out this way, I'm going to walk in it, we find that even as we walk through difficult things, they make sense to us, we can walk through it, we, get, we come alongside people and we don't feel this crisis within us. <clears throat> Jesus is also described as the perfecter or the finisher of our faith here. This is a benefit for us that the cloud of witnesses uh, before, that, that came before didn't have. The author of Hebrews says so in chapter 11. So look at this is how he closes out the, <coughs> the hall of faith in chapter 11. He says this in verse 39 of 11. He says, and all these, right, all the people he's talked about, all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So all the members of, of the Hall of Faith trusted the Lord, ran their race in life by faith, but they were still waiting for God to complete what he had promised, what he would accomplish through the gospel in Jesus' life. What they looked forward to with expectant faith 
we can look back at with assured faith. They had to rely on a future that they believed would come to pass. We can live in the light of the past and present where it already has come to pass. As we walk through times that require faith, you know, the, like the changing cultural narratives that we face, uncertainty of the future, personal problems because of our own sin or, or because of sin against us, we have to be diligent to keep our eyes fixed on the one who is already taking care of our biggest problem. Now, that's not to say that problems we face in life aren't huge, right? I know plenty of people walking through things that are incredibly difficult, and they require massive amounts of faith. But when we put that in perspective with our biggest problem is we are sinful humans needing to be made right with a perfect God, and we could not do that on our own, when we look back at Jesus who did that for us, it says, whoa, our biggest problem is now off the table, and because he took care of that one, I can trust him to help me through these other ones. They pale in comparison to what God has accomplished for us already. Our founder and perfecter of our faith is in front of us, and we can continue to run the race toward him. Now, you can do a whole sermon on these. I'm going to roll through a couple just points on this really quick that I thought were interesting as I, looked, as I was looking through this. Um, to piggyback last, on last week's sermon that Emmanuel preached when we were focusing on, we were, we were focusing on joy um, when he was in Philippians, look at what the joy of Jesus is here, right? It says, Jesus, for the joy set before him endures the cross, scorning its shame. So for Jesus, it gives us a beautiful picture of, of what joy in, the, in, you know, in God looks like. Jesus <coughs> found so much joy in being obedient to and accomplishing what the Father had laid out for him that he was able to face things like the cross. He was able to face the shame of that, the physical pain of that, the the probably worst pain, the worst like spiritual pain of that where a perfect, the perfect son of God has to take on the sin of the world and feels forsaken by his father. He takes that on because he has the joy set before him of accomplishing what God had for him. It's an incredible picture just of how he works. We can also see the two kind of directives in these verses, right, are, are to, to look to Jesus, right? Some, some, some uh, translation are going to say, fix your eyes, and to consider him. So look at him and consider him or remember him. If you remember back when we were in the Old Testament, those were constant refrains to the Israelites as they, as they kind of weaved through, um, we're believing in God well now, we're not believing in God well now. Hey, we're doing better now. Hey, we're not doing better now, right? The, the command they had all the time was, hey, look to Jesus, look to God, remember him, consider him, remember what, he, what he's done. So for us, so much of life is a matter of focus. God doesn't go anywhere when we're feeling low in our faith. It's that we start to look and listen elsewhere. It's a reminder that we often need, and that's one of the key reasons why we come together as the church, to remind each other of these things. It makes me think, of, this, this, is off, this is off topic, but I've got to go quick. Um, it makes me think of the story of, of Peter coming out of the boat and walking on the water with Jesus, right? He says, hey, if it's really you, let me come out and walk on the water. And Jesus is like, come on down, right? And Peter starts walking on the water, and it's incredible. He's walking toward Jesus, and what does the Bible say? It says, he noticed that the wind and the waves were pretty large, and it's at that moment that he sinks. 
right? It's not because Jesus like lost hold of his power for a second. It's like, oh, Peter, I thought I could help you do that. Oh, sorry, my bad, right? It was Peter starts looking around at all the other stuff. He's literally walking toward Jesus on the water and he still has a look at the waves and goes, well, those look kind of big. I don't know. That looks a little crazy. And that's where he starts to lose, lose that faith there. So we've looked at these two things, right? We've looked at the human examples, our multitude of examples. We've looked at, the, at Jesus as the perfecter, the founder of our faith. Let's look at one more key for us. And it's one oftentimes we don't like, but it's critical for us. So let's take a look at verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when, when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? So the third key for us in enduring faith is the loving discipline of our father. Now, I told you it was something we don't usually like, right? We tend to balk at discipline. It rubs us the wrong way every once in a while, whether it's self-discipline, right? I'm going to start getting up earlier. I'm going to read more. I'm going to eat healthy. I'm going to save more money. And then the next opportunity comes up and you go, I don't really want to do this, right? And it's tough. We, we balk at this. We, we, we don't like it. We find, that, we find it confining. We find it difficult. And what we really don't like is to face discipline or consequences for our own sin and actions. That's why it's so hard sometimes to be a disciple of Christ. All too often we hide our sin or kind of prolong it, even though we feel convicted by it, because we're afraid of what the outcome's going to be. We're afraid of the discipline. We're afraid of the consequence. And so when that sin comes to light, we've, we've been holding on to it for so much longer, and it creates an even bigger blow-up for us. It makes it so much worse, but we can avoid those kind of blow-ups and tap into a huge resource for growing and sustaining our faith by recognizing this one thing, that we're being disciplined as God's children, as part of the family. Having faith in God doesn't just make us some nameless, you know, faithful follower, some automaton. It's like, oh, he's messing up. Get him out of here. But a son or a daughter of God the Father God doesn't discipline us with like employee discipline where it's like, oh, I'm sorry, you, you failed, you violated our policy, we're going to have to let you go, Boop, and you're out. Or like IRS discipline, which is like, oh, you filed your taxes not totally perfect five years ago, so we'll just charge you like three times the discrepancy and we'll call it even. Does that work? Right? Like that's some IRS discipline. But we don't get, that's not how God disciplines us. He disciplines us like a parent does a child. Now, obviously, parental discipline is not always perfect, right? It doesn't, doesn't mean we do this perfectly. But the main idea behind it is for your child to learn how not to do <coughs> the wrong thing that they did again. The goal is to grow them from impulsive, petulant children into respectful, well-adjusted adults. Fingers crossed, right? Um, just kidding. Parents discipline well when it's coming from love, and God disciplines those that he loves. The writer of Hebrews says later that if your faith doesn't lead you toward God's discipline, then you should really question if you're actually following God at all. It's a, it's a worthwhile check-in to do, right? You can ask yourself this question, does my faith in God challenge me and grow me, or does it mostly seem to agree or side with me? 
If we do that self-check, we'll find sometimes that we're being really faithful to live for ourselves and only a little bit faithful to live for God sometimes. It's a good thing to check. But he closes it out with this point, and I love this, I love this point, and it circles back to verse 1 really well. It closes out in verse 11. It says, For in the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. When we struggle with faith, it is so often the case that we would rather have ease in the moment instead of a discipline that leads to fruitful results. I'll take the ease now. Well, you'll still be in the same place later. Yeah, I'll take the ease now. That's normally the math we do in our heads. We know that growing up, a big thing when you grow up is you learn this idea of of delayed gratification, right? That you can put off something that might be good right now because because you know you might get something better later that's going to be beneficial to you. But we have a hard time sometimes bringing that over into our spiritual lives. I love how well it circles back to verse 1 here again. Remember in verse 1 it says, as we run the race, what do we do? We want to we take off the weight and the sin that clings closely to us. It's giving us the picture, right? You're not going to go run a marathon in like a business suit. It's too bulky. It's too heavy. You're going to run it in something that is much more, much more uh, easy to move in. And so he's giving us that picture. And discipline is the way that we shed that. That's why the Bible gives us... Um, the Bible gives us metaphors of it, of, of this, because sometimes it feels invasive or destructive to us. We don't like the discipline. It feels bad. So the examples we get a lot of times in the Bible are the idea of like pruning a tree, right? It's a process that looks destructive. You're cutting stuff off of a tree. You're moving it, right? If the tree, if the tree could tell you, you know, talk to you, it'd probably be like, hey, that was attached. Please reattach it. Ow, don't cut that off again, please, right? And like lots of little clips, a great skit that made the rounds um, when I was in youth group. These guys called the skit guys, where they did a whole, like a chisel was the name of, was the name of their skit, and it was, one guy would be the sculpture, and a guy would have a chisel, and he'd be like, and it was this conversation with God, like, hey, craft me into, you know, someone that follows you well, and the guy would come up and chisel, you know, kind of fake chisel something off of him, and he'd be like, oh, why'd you do that? And he's like, well, you said you wanted me, you said you wanted to grow closer to who I am. That was, that was unnecessary. It's like, well, but that hurt. He's like, yeah, this might. This might for a while. So we get those kind of pictures of, of the pruning or the, the chiseling something out or the crafting something. It's that thing that looks destructive and painful, but it leads to a better outcome. You and I can move from painful discipline and lacking faith to peaceful fruit and lavish faith. Again, if we just submit ourselves to what God's word would tell us, what God would tell us, what, how, how we encounter our sin and how we deal with that. We simply need to trust that God is a good father who disciplines for the right reason. He's like a good coach that makes you do a drill over and over and over again at practice until you think, I am going to lose my mind if I have to do this one more time. But then you do it in a game and it works perfectly and you're like, oh, that was cool. And your coach is over at the side going, uh-huh, right? Like, this is why we practice. Um, remember when I told you that Hebrews was written to, um, I actually didn't tell you this. Hebrews was actually written, I missed this in my context. There you go, circling back. Um, Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians at the time. And the whole point of it was to help them, help them uh, maintain their faith because they were facing persecution. That's why he goes over and over again into these strong examples that they would understand of people that faced difficulty and still lived through it. 
So these people are facing persecution, and the goal for this, for this author is that they would not grow weary in that, and that they would learn to endure. So the big idea when we look at this is that we have what is necessary to endure in our faith. We have what is necessary. And it's in the example of Scripture, it's in the work of Christ on our behalf, it's in the continuing discipline of God for us. You can kind of see the past, kind of a past, present, future type of idea there, where we get all the way through, we can look back, we can look back, we can, we can, look, we can look back at what Old Testament guys did, we can look back at what Jesus did, we can see the effects of that currently, and we can live going forward in the discipline of Christ. So we're covered in how we find our faith. I'm just going to read over the last couple verses of this, of this section of this chapter just as kind of a prayer for us. And I think one that if we're honest, we, we recognize these feelings that he's kind of commending them. Okay, so since this is true, since we have these things, he says this in verse 12. Lift, or, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. That feeling of weakness is really relatable to us most of the time. <clears throat> and one of the keys to overcoming that, like we saw here, is remembering what God has done. Whether that's in other people's lives, whether that's in the work of Jesus, that remember idea is huge. And so to help that with that today, is very well timed that we were doing this. We're going to take the Lord's Supper now, those that are serving, y'all can, come on, y'all can come on ahead and the band can come on up. God specifically ordained the Lord's Supper as this kind of visceral reminder of what he'd done. That's why we, we often repeat this idea of do this in remembrance of me. If you're here, here, if you're here today um, and you're not a believer in, in Christ, I would ask, and this is going to sound odd if you've never heard this before, I would ask that you let the elements pass by you. <clears throat> that's not to be exclusionary. We're not trying to single you out. No one's watching to be like, well, they didn't take it. No one's doing that. Um, the point for that is, again, this is a reminder of something that is true. And if you don't actually believe that, you don't need the reminder. You, you, need, the, you need the first thing. You need, you need the minder. You need the real thing. And so I would ask, if you're thinking through that, take this time to pray to Jesus to, to, to consider that. And to say, hey, Jesus, I don't want to run this race alone. I want to access these things. I want to have these keys. If you're a believer in here, the temptation is, if you've been in church for a long time, is to take the Lord's Supper, and it's very familiar. We've done it many times. And then we let familiarity kind of breed out the beauty of what's going on in communion. Take this time to truly remember what's going on. Think of it in the marathon sense, again, of one of those, of like a hydration station coming along. You've been going along, you're running for a while, and now it's that, it's that sip of water that refreshes you and says, oh yeah, I can do this because of who Christ is. So we'll take that time, and as y'all begin to pass it, um, we'll take a moment here, um, and as you receive these, be praying over those things, and then we'll come back and take this together. Mm-hmm.